Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Hope everyone's Thursday is going well. This is the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Counting it down. One more day, 48 hours until kickoff. South Carolina and Auburn, new kickoff at Williams-Brice Stadium. Um, Gamecocks have never beaten Auburn since joining the SEC. You know that. (laughs) You also know this is probably through three games, not the best Auburn team we've seen uh, over the years. You know, they're kind of a struggling bunch at times. Uh, And so kind of the way this game has been set up, you know, there's a lot of folks, Brady Quinn today uh, from CBS Sports predicted the Gamecocks would win. A lot of folks thinking Carolina gets the upset. Um, I know that internally there is some confidence on the part of South Carolina. You know, they're looking forward to the, the challenge of the weekend and think they have a chance to go and, get that elusive win over the Tigers. Um, I think that sometimes a win like Carolina had last week, even though, you know, obviously when we've said this time and time again, the opponent was not all that great. Sometimes that helps. That gets you kind of going. Um, and I think about last year too, and this is, um, you know, when Carolina would win and the Vanderbilt win, does not count because <laughs> uh, by that point in the year, I think uh, the offense was just decimated, um, wasn't going far. People figured it out, et cetera, et cetera. But, but if you think about the last year, Charleston Southern, Holinsky comes in, has a really good game in his debut. You know, Charleston Southern was really bad. Um, we talk about Vanderbilt being bad. That Vanderbilt team would have probably beaten that Charleston Southern team by four touchdowns. But you go into the game and uh, you look at it, yeah, and then the next week, Bama comes to town. And, you know, Carolina was very respectable uh, in that football game uh, for the most part, considering they had a freshman quarterback. Certainly in the first half, South Carolina had their chances. I thought they played, you know, inspired football. Uh, and, uh, you know, it didn't work out because I don't think a lot of teams last year were going to stop to attack of Viola and those receivers running that RPO game. That was just uh, – that was just a ridiculous kind of deal, <laughs> but you know, Carol point is Carolina did play good. Okay. So then they kind of go back in a shell or whatever against Missouri. Then they play Kentucky and that Kentucky game, I think fed into the confidence to go beat Georgia. Okay. And then I think the Georgia win fed into the confidence uh, to play Florida pretty well uh, until again, the Gators owned the fourth quarter. Um, and a bad call or three went went against the Gamecocks on that rainy day at Williams-Brice, and things didn't work out, and so then you go back with the momentum. So I think there is some precedent there, no, no matter who the opponent is, that when you win, you know, you play with more confidence. And I said this after the Tennessee game. I thought that was what was separating South Carolina from the Vols in that game is confidence. You know, Tennessee is not a world-beating football team. Uh, I don't think they're better than South Carolina. Uh, I think that they're, you know, probably equal. And if you played that game five times, you know, it'd probably come out five and five. I'm sorry, 10 times. 
Don't ask me to do math in the morning. It's not good. <laughs> I always scheduled my math classes in the afternoon, which I don't, which I probably should have done it in the morning, to be honest, because, you know, afternoon after lunch, you're sitting there trying to do math. You're ready to go. That type of thing. You're ready for the day to be over. So maybe that wasn't a good thing, but math any time of the day is probably not my strong suit. I'm more of a, a word guy. So Brady Quinn picked the Gamecocks to win uh, internally. They're confident. So, so you, you look at all this stuff and, and, you know, the people in the media are saying, well, Carolina's got a shot to go win and all this other stuff. Uh, I was on Sirius XM satellite radio yesterday with Chris Childers and Aaron Murray. And they were asking about the game and they seemed like they thought South Carolina could pull the, the, the slight upset. Auburn's a three point favorite, but you know, the question you have to get to is, is this a setup? Are we all preparing for the rug to be pulled out from under us yet again? Because that's happened time and time again. Uh, I've said before, I, you know, beating Auburn and getting to two and two is not kicking in the door. There's still work to be done, you know, especially this season. And especially because you went down Oh two. Um, but I do think it will go a long way uh, toward, you know, you, you go and you beat a team like Auburn. It's one of the quote unquote big six programs. And in case you don't know what the big six is, the big six programs in the SEC are Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, and LSU. Uh, and if you look back through history, since Ole Miss, I think, won the league in the 60s, and Kentucky may have tied for it in the late 70s, didn't win it outright. Um, nobody else has won the league, the, the, the SEC championship, but those six schools. <clears throat> and then people could throw in A&M as the seventh, and that's basically based on resources and things like that. But, you know, and, and obviously the Texas TV market's very important to the league. But uh, I, uh, you know, I think anytime you get a win over one of the big six, it's a good thing if you're South Carolina, because that's where you're trying to get. You're trying to make it a big seven or big eight. You know, South Carolina needs to be legit. And if every time you play a team from that category, you lose, uh, even when they're down a little bit, you know, that, that doesn't help the, you know, to get to where you're going. You know, so South Carolina's got a golden opportunity Saturday at Williams-Brice Stadium. Um, you know, is this a setup? Maybe. Because uh, I'm, I'm going to say this, Auburn may not have played all that well, and they may not seem like a good team. And I know they've got issues on the offensive line, but they've got players. I mean, Seth Williams, really good. <laughs> Anthony Schwartz, really good. Bo Nix can play better than he has. You know, you don't want him to have the coming out party. I think they've got good talent on defense, uh, you know, especially in the front seven. They got a great linebacker in Owen Pape. I think that's how you say it, Pape or Pappy. Pape, but uh, you know it, it's one of those things. I think you know you have to you have to sort of you know look at it and, and, and with some skepticism, you know, just because th this isn't something that you know has happened a whole lot. And I go back to the Kentucky game in 2017 and some other opportunities that South Carolina's had. Um, and, and like I said, you know, you win that game in 2017 against Kentucky, you're staring 4-0 start, uh, start in the, in the face, heading down to A&M, maybe you have the confidence to go win that one, 
you know, and that could have been a really special start for South Carolina. You know, they'd have probably been inside the top 25 ranked and, you know, in, in Will Muschamp's second year, that have been huge. Well, it didn't work out. And so that's the thing. Now there won't be 80,000 people waving towels and it's not a nighttime kickoff either at Williams Price, but there should be a crowd there and people, you know, rightfully so, are, are, are more excited this week than maybe they were last week or the week before. Um, so that's uh, something to consider when you're talking about the overall excitement level heading into the game. Um, talking to one of my Auburn friends yesterday, he was making a joke about two juggernaut offenses. <laughs> They're concerned about their offense down there. And, I, you know, looking at it, I get it because they, you know, they – didn't play very well against Georgia at all. They didn't go very far. Really caught some breaks against Kentucky in the opener. Um, those are two good defenses. Uh, I think South Carolina's got a good defense. Um, I don't know how good Arkansas is defensively. Uh, I, I think that it was masterful, kind of their scheme that they ran against Mississippi State. But I think <laughs> the secret sort of out, you know, on um, – dropping guys into coverage against the air raid with KJ Costello's back there, turning the ball over and stuff. So, you know, maybe it's uh, maybe that wasn't something that was all great, but you know, Arkansas is not as bad as people think, you know, they've had really one bad half of football against Georgia in the second half. Georgia appears to be a second half football team this year. Um, And then that was it. You know, and I don't know that that was bad so much as they're just not as good as Georgia is. So we will see. We will see what happens. I, I think that, um, you know, again, South Carolina's defense has to stay out of giving up the big play. You know, like the Tennessee game, they gave up some big plays. You can't let Bo Nix connect with those receivers. Uh, you got to have eye discipline, all that. All that stuff we've talked about all week uh, with the Gamecocks. So, I don't know if this is a setup or not, folks. Uh, I'm going to pick Carolina to win. Uh, I picked them yesterday uh, on JB and Goldwater, and I sort of stick with my predictions. But we'll have that on the final word tomorrow. So we will see, you know, kind of how all that works out. But, uh, you know, I do think South Carolina's defense has to stay out of the big play. I think that the offense needs to just kind of keep on keeping on. They got to keep on moving it, grinding out first down, stay it on the field. Um Auburn defensively, you know, I look at it and I'm like, well, you know, Georgia was able to get some things going in the pass game and the run game. I don't think Auburn played that bad defensively against Georgia. Uh, I I thought against Arkansas, you know, you look, Felipe Franks was, you know, 20 for 28 for 318 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. So they saw something there uh, in the passing game. And also, if you look at the first game, Eddie Grand and Kentucky threw it 37 times uh, against the Tigers. And, and that's not that's kind of out of their normal mode of operation. And so th- they saw something in the secondary for Auburn that, that maybe they, they thought they could take advantage of. So Colin Hill may have some, you know, some of the elusive downfield opportunities <laughs> that maybe people people are clamoring for right now uh, against the Tigers this weekend. I think it's important he continues to play solid. You know, obviously, Shai Smith's very important. I think, obviously, the other receivers are too. 
um, and the backs and the tight ends. Nick Muse, Deshaun Fenwick, you know, this is a chance uh, for them to have a good game. Uh, I think Fenwick, you know, because Harris has been putting up numbers, you know, the way Fenwick's been playing is a little bit understated this year. Uh, and, and there was the unfortunate fumble at, at, at and I, cause I know these days guys until the Gamecocks start winning again, every bad play is going to be magnified and taken as absolute fact when it comes to this football team. Okay. You make some mistakes, you give up some big plays against Tennessee. Well, they can't cover, you know, Kandarius Tony breaks about 18 tackles, <laughs> Not that much, but they, you know, a bunch of tackles on the way to the end zone. Oh, this team can't tackle. You know, Deshaun Fenwick fumbles the ball once. He doesn't have good hands. And that's just not true. I mean, you know, a guy throws a pick. That doesn't mean quarterback. He's not a good quarterback. Um, Those things happen in football. But I understand that's how things are right now. And I'm going to get to some of those – you know, topics about the fan base here in a second because I got some things to say. But, uh, you know, Fenwick does have good hands, and Fenwick has been playing well. Even his carries from scrimmage, he's been running hard, making people miss, breaking tackles. It's just Kevin Harris has been, the you know, the workhorse. And I think that's good. That's good. Uh, we'll see how Kevin Harris handles success uh, because nobody was really talking about the 100 yards he put up at Florida – but, you know, you put the 171 and have a big 88-yard run uh, in a game, even though it was Vanderbilt, and people are starting to talk now. I mean, again, on Sirius XM yesterday with Chris and Aaron, you know, Chris Childers asked me directly, is Kevin Harris a star? And I was like, I'm not going to put the star tag on him just yet, you know, because, you know, we're three games into to, uh, I think, is he a sophomore? Redshirt freshman. I can't remember if he hit the red shirt last year or not. But we're three games into this season of him being the starter. You know, I I, I know he's second in the league in rushing, but I, I don't I don't want to like crown him a star yet. Uh, but I did tell the story about his recruitment and the fact that you know he would have probably gone to a service academy had he not camped at Carolina and earned the offer. He ran a four or five. He had a forty inch vertical. He's a great athlete. Um. And that, that's a good recruiting story. That's the kind of that's the kind of recruiting story you like, um, you know. But uh, is he a star yet? I don't know. You know, we're we're three games into a ten game All SEC schedule, and you, you earn your star, not stars rating, but your star status in college by being super duper productive and uh, continuing to be consistent, especially at running back. But I, I'm. Super happy, and everybody else should be super happy with the way Kevin Harris has been playing this year. So, and he's going to be important tomorrow because you know he's he's got the ability to help Carolina grind out first downs. Um, and and if you're Auburn, you know you're looking at him going, we got to stop this guy, you know, because you shut down the run, force Carolina to pass, do some things they're not comfortable with. You know that that would be my game plan if I'm Kevin Steele. You know, you just got to. Get in there and stop the run, uh, stop Harris because if he if he's running through you, that's going to open things up downfield and in the passing game, and you know it's not going to be good for Auburn. But uh, yeah, so there's that, um, and like like I said, I understand you know anything bad that happens, it's like it's magnified. And I wanted to talk about this subject because it was on the Big Spur, um, 
about the trash talking uh, before the half at Vanderbilt. Uh, and there's all kinds of opinions on it. And, you know, people, Will Muschamp, uh, one thing about Will Muschamp, even if it's like, even if you look at it, you say that's a load of BS and everybody believes that he's going to not throw his players under the bus. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I, I think that's why players like to play for Will Muschamp. That's why players that could go anywhere, come to South Carolina sometimes and play for Will Muschamp. He's a player's coach. Um, and, and, and he did address it. I mean, you know, it was addressed internally. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, you know, you, you don't want him to sit here. And I mean, and, and I think part of this is because of who he used to coach at South Carolina. Because Spurrier would have straight out said, oh, that's sad. That's just sad. There's no, you know, Spurrier like to say sad. So uh, I, uh, I, don't, I don't think, and I, again, any, everything gets magnified when you're not winning, especially when your coach is dealing with the media. I don't think he handled it the wrong way, Will Muschamp. I, I just think maybe you guys were looking for a different answer, more like Steve Spurrier. And, and, and look, until you start winning – you know, people are going to start reverting to the old coach. And frankly, you know, I've seen more, you know, references to the Spurrier era this year than maybe any other year uh, under Will Muschamp. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a big deal. If it starts becoming a major problem, you know, you can say, oh, all right, you know, he's there, there's some issues in the locker room, but I can assure you there are no issues in this locker room. Um, those types of things that, that happen when teams start, you know, the losses are going to have to pile up a lot more for them to lose the locker room. Um, and so I, I, I think that these are all college kids. Uh, some of us who are older, um, maybe we're getting to the point in our lives where, where we can't really, relate as much uh, to how some of these guys act and what they do. Um, But that's fine. That happens. Um, And and when you're not winning, it's, uh, it's all magnified. Uh, So I just wanted to address that about the the trash talking. Um, I I think now, now what do I think about what actually happened? Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Line up, throw the ball down the field. You're there to win a football game. Every second is precious. You know, as Muschamp said, he said they were going to go Berlin. I don't know what Berlin is uh, other than maybe bombs. <laughs> They're going to throw a bomb. Um, and so, uh, you know, yeah, go Berlin, try to score. And that, that was embarrassing. I mean, you should never have extracurricular activities take any chance away from putting your team in, in a successful position. But as far as how it was handled, I can assure you, it was it was handled with extreme prejudice <laughs> on the inside. I just uh, Muschamp's never going to throw his players under the bus, and I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I think that's uh, certain coaches handle it that way, and I don't. I don't really ever think there's a right or a wrong. You know, uh, I think that you know Nick Saban doesn't really throw his players under the bus. He'll say something about the organization, but if you try to get him to criticize an individual he'll go back and revert back to the organization and he'll even say as coaches we need to do a better job of blah 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 you know so there's that all right okay 
had a uh, member of the Big Spur get on a, another site, and uh, and then that's fine. You know, I want all of you guys to get on any site you want and post anything you want. But it again called into question this podcast and you know politics. And, and I want to explain something. This is not a political podcast. Um, I don't sit there and talk about the election or anything like that. But we're in the middle of a pandemic that directly affects football. In case you haven't noticed, uh, Nick Saban, who I just mentioned, tested positive for coronavirus this week. And so, you know, the anti-college football media, uh, which is the college football media, your Christine Brennan's and, and Pat Forty's of the world, have all of a sudden decided to get back on their high horse and talk about, oh, see, this should have never been played. Never been played. This this game should – they should have – this is stupid. You know, they didn't mention the fact that Georgia-Bama game is still on. Um, Saban's getting another test today. Uh, the players weren't affected. But, but you'd think that there was this mass spread. Now, if any of you thought the SEC was going to get through the entire season without some sort of, you know, COVID – rescheduling you're sadly mistaken you know you're sadly sadly mistaken um and look lsu florida got postponed how many times we're going to postpone the lsu florida game we, we should just do that every year we should have a week you know the wednesday between uh thanksgiving and the sec championship game in a normal year we should just reserve that for lsu florida and say okay you guys can play on a wednesday they always like to those two schools, no, nothing surprises me when it comes to rescheduling, not playing, whatever. Because, again, they don't want to play each other, even though back in 92 they were demanding it. So, And, look, I'm not making light of their COVID situations, um, especially at Florida. You know, I'm not quite sure how that happened. They're, they're starting to talk about maybe it's the travel. Um, and so here's my thought. What's the difference between a high school team – that gets on a bus, right, and drives to the game and then comes back on the bus home um, and everything's fine. And, and a college team flying in the day of the game and then flying back out. I, I You know, I, I think if it's the travel, you know, I, I would be shocked if you traced it to the charter flights because those things are – completely disinfected and all that. Now somebody, the pilot or steward or, or whatever had it, maybe that's the case. Um, and in that case, you can't avoid it. But but I feel like maybe it's the hotels. You know, they get in these ballrooms. They have, work. you know, hotels have massive amounts of workers. You know, maybe they don't know they have it, but they do. They transmit it, whatever. Maybe, maybe you start – Thinking outside the box, I mean, you can schedule a charter flight in and a charter flight out. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, so if this continues to be a problem, I do think there's solutions other than canceling the season, which is what a lot of people want to have happen so they can say, I told you so. Fundamentally, in journalism, people want to be right. Um, they want to be right with their hot takes. And so you see that nowadays. But politically, look, over the summer uh, – the big question was, you're going to have a season or not. And it got politicized just like everything else in this country does. And so I gave my opinion on it. I, I wasn't 
advocating for a candidate. Uh, I wasn't telling you that, you know, the Democratic Party was, you know, awful and socialist or whatever. And I wasn't, you know, telling you how the Republican Party were were a bunch of rich white guys who were racist. Uh, Those are the talking points on either side. I never said anything like that. And uh, I, I wouldn't. You know, if, if, if I wanted to share with the masses my political views and I had a political talk show or podcast for a while called the POS show, I'd do it there. So that way, you know, hey, you know, you're not getting sports. But that whole situation with COVID was directly related to sports. So I, I'd have been dumb if I'd have sat here and like pretended like none of it was happening and been like, hey, let's break down the depth chart for the 15th time. You know, so I gave my take on it. I think I was right. I think players are safer, regardless of some positive tests that have happened uh, inside their bubble, you know. And and I think that, you know, what you want to do is you want to, you know, kind of eliminate any kind of exposure, which is why I was against having in-person classes. I mean, you know, people think, uh, you know, I wear this red hat or whatever, um, well, the red hat people wanted to have in-person classes and instruction and, and all that. And I was like, no, 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 no. Go remote with school and bubble football, you know, because I think, you know, you're asking for trouble with your football players if they're going and sitting in the class with a, with a bunch of college kids who really could care less. And, and, you know, maybe rightfully so, looking at the numbers, 70,000 positive cases and with college kids since college has started again. Three have been hospitalized, no deaths. So obviously it's not, you know, doesn't impact, you know, those guys as much as as it should, and they're living their lives. And that's fine, but you don't want that to spread to your football team, you know. So, I mean, I I haven't been political, I don't think. But, you know, obviously that was something that some folks said, politics getting thrown down their throat. And I just wanted to let you guys know, if you read that, that's not true. Um, obviously if you, uh, if you're listening here, you probably don't care, but, uh, I'm going to defend myself, uh, in situations like that, because that's just absolutely not true. Um, and I absolutely am too intelligent of an individual to sit here on a podcast and talk about depth chart and, and recruiting and player evaluations when the very question of whether or not they're going to play is at stake. And there are some stupid, stupid opinions out there about it for people who should know better. So I'm not going to sit here and shut up. You know, people are stick to sports. That is sports. College football is a sport. We were talking about whether or not it should be played period. I'm sorry. It got politicized. I'm not the one that politicized, you know, and here's Dan Walken. Uh, just a tweet came through. Joel Klatt, who I never agree with because he's a he's an SEC hater. Joel says, seeing a few disappointing articles referenced this week to college football COVID positives and postponements. The reality is this season has been a success, all things considered, and will continue to be. Positives are inevitable with the overwhelming majority showing mild or no symptoms. And Dan Walken retweets, I'll give Joel credit here for getting down to brass tacks. As long as nobody dies, everything is fine. No, idiot. That's not true. There haven't been an overwhelming amount of positives within football programs. And 
you you for 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 all these guys to be right, okay? You have to trace the spread of COVID-19 directly to participating in the sport of football and then prove with 85 scholarship guys on a roster and even more people there that they would be safer in their own home communities or as part of the student body, which is completely, you know, just generally going to class or whatever, which is completely intellectually dishonest. So I'm off that subject. Um, And I'm sorry it's gotten politicized and I apologize to anybody out there that thought, you know, I was sitting there talking about, you know, politics, politics are a different subject. It's a hobby of mine. I follow it. It, it It's detest. It's disgraceful right now. But, you know, I'm not sitting there talking about the election or who to vote for or anything like that. But back to football. But, you know, yeah, Dan, Dan Walken, you know, he's it, it, these these guys are unfreaking believable. It's been so positive that we've had college football. You know, it, it's been it's it's actually by and large been fine. OK, um, I think in the SEC, you know, you do have some guys that, that kind of like to do a little gamesmanship with it. You know, Lane Kiffin, we've got COVID issues, but we can still play. Well, what does that mean? You know, um, so it, it, it's it, it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, anyway. But no politics here, you know, unless it's directly related to sports. And then I'm sorry, I'm just too smart to to not talk about it, especially when I see such, you know, dishonest and spiteful and anti-football takes out there and, you know, honest to God, fear-mongering. Um, it's just ridiculous. So anyway, uh, I've addressed all that. And so now I think it's time for the mailbag. Wait a minute. I got one more point to make the, the selfish and disingenuous way for college football programs to handle this would be to say, we're just going to play every anyway, get everybody sick. The the risk are low, you know, you can still play with COVID, whatever, (laughs) and not reschedule games. You know, it's a pain in the ass to reschedule a game. You know, that that would be, to me, something that you would call into question. You know, not the fact that they're, okay, we've got too many positives. We're going to shut it down and, and rock and roll. I mean, what, what, what's the problem with that? To me, that's out of an abundance of caution. So, anyway, you know, that's – that's just my take, but I knew, you know, nobody, nobody was right. right they, nobody was wrote this stuff, uh, this crap, you know, Christine Brennan, Pat Forty, Dan Walken, the Corona bros, as Clay Travis likes to call them. Um, you know, nobody wrote this crap when Les Miles tested positive for COVID or Mike Norvell tested positive for COVID. You know, nobody wrote this stuff when Baylor had to reschedule like four games. You know, Nick Saban test positive, the, the, you know, now that, that there, there's their hook, okay? So this shows you how dishonest these people are because they know they can't sell their crap to the masses that aren't really informed or intelligent about what's actually going on. They can't get people stirred up unless they have like a hook. Oh, that's Nick Saban, boom. There you go. And I do wish Nick Saban the best, and I think it's unfortunate, you know, th- th- that he tested positive for COVID. And I hope he's okay. 
But I don't think this is – anybody that kind of realistically thought about this, I don't think it's surprising at all we're rescheduling games to any coach, any player, anybody. Why is this surprising? We knew it. That's why the schedule has a built-in open date. Anyway, all right, I'm off that now. Sorry about that. But, no, you're not going to get politics on this program, but you are going to get me pissed off when people are out there acting stupid and insulting the intelligent people that went above and beyond the call of duty to have what I think uh, is a sport that we all know and love uh, and, and that is necessary if you can do it safely. And I think that, you know, rescheduling games, um, you know, not letting kids practice, social distancing, uh, quarantining, contact tracing, all that good stuff is, is safe. That's what everybody tells us to do anyway when you're out in the world. Yeah, I think that's safe safety. So anyway, big middle finger to all the the you know corona bro media that uh is using Nick Saban's illness to advance an agenda in an intellectually dishonest manner. All right. First, all right, so so there's two ways you can get to the mailbag. First and foremost, you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please follow that account. Um, different content there that there is on at the Big Spur 24-7. Uh, this first one comes in from Jordy on Twitter. He says, with Keon Coleman decommitting from Kansas, what are the odds he's a Gamecock next year in your opinion? I don't know because Keon keeps getting offers. I think Texas, Southern Cal, other schools have come in and offered him. Um I think it just kind of depends. I mean, are they going to have visits? Um, and people, you know, some people say this, and I, I want to explain why for South Carolina right now, it, it's more important to have visits than maybe it is for a brand name school. And it, it's because, you know, number one, South Carolina on brand alone can't survive. I mean, there's this kid's from Louisiana. He's probably, I don't, I don't know if he's visited or not before the pandemic, but a lot of kids out there, they, they get to campus, they don't even know williams Bryce Stadium seats, you know, 78,000 people. You know, they don't know South Carolina's got a $50 million football ops building. They don't know that the city of Columbia is actually a city where you can go do things and have fun, you know, after the pandemic. So, uh, you know, they don't know that because they've never been there. And, and so those selling points, uh, just the kind of, uh, ancillary things that, that you sell a program on uh, are not, you know, front and center. You can have all the pictures you want and video you want. It's nothing like being there. That's number one. Number two, you know, Will Muschamp's on every hot seat list in the country. Social media is a toxic wasteland, especially from Gamecock fans right now. And like I said, I don't blame you. Um, and that's uh that, that's what comes with losing, and then the losses have been piling up. You know, so how do you overcome that? You know, you, yeah, you can you can recruit against Arkansas all you want and say, well, Arkansas was terrible last year, and you know, blah blah blah. But Arkansas can sit there and say, well, you know, they're kind of at the end of their cycle there, and they could get fired, and we're just starting here. So come be a part of building. You know, it's hard in year five to say, come be a part of building. So how you overcome that is you get guys on campus. They get to see all the things 
that, that makes South Carolina a worthy place to go that maybe they don't know. This is especially for out-of-state kids. And then you build in-person relationships. You look them in the eye. They, they, they're, you know, they realize that head coach is fun to be around. Position coach is fun to hang out with. You know, there's a different kind of relationship you can build with people face-to-face than over Zoom. That's just a fact. Um, and so, you know, for those that say, well, everybody's going through COVID. Yeah, but visits for Carolina mean a little bit more just because of the situation they're in. And, and that's not an excuse because an excuse would be, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. No, they put themselves in this position. The coaches did because they lost. You know, but a, a – you know, the reality is a function of that is, oh, you need to get kids on campus to have a shot. So I don't know. I'd love to see them get Keon Coleman. Uh, I think he's got a really good chance to be good. I didn't think he belonged at Kansas, but uh, I do think that, uh, you know, I, I do think Carolina's in it. Um, they just have to go get him. Uh, and that's Louisiana. Like I said, it's a Louisiana kid. So we'll see ultimately what happens. But I I think, you know, he would be a guy that you could really, I mean, make a part of your program and he could do some good things and potentially help right away. I think at receiver, if things don't get better this year, they're going to have to go look at some transfers. Um, By the way, the NCAA approved one-time transfer. Uh, No, you don't have to sit. So, um, you know, you have to look at that. Uh, so do I think Carolina, what are the odds? 40%. I don't, I don't want to say 40. It's hard to, uh, I, you know, I, I think Carolina's, I'll just say Carolina's in it. I wouldn't call them the favorite right now, but I also wouldn't say that there is a favorite. Um, here we go. Danny Cannell, who I never thought I'd agree with reminder to those still criticizing college football and have amped up the sky's falling rhetoric. 143 games have been completed. Zero hospitalizations or even any major issues with the players and coaches who have tested positive. This is remarkable success so far. I agree with you, Danny. All right, that's the last thing I'm saying on that 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 freaking uh, subject today, and I retweeted it. Uh, but thank you, you know, thank you for your question, Jody, on Keon Coleman. I know he's a guy that's you know on everybody's mind because he's got those star ratings, and I think he's really good. I mean, I think Keon Coleman. I don't know what LSU's thinking, I mean, as far as him. Um, but we'll see. All right, so you can also – and that was the Twitter question. We get more on the inbox than we do on Twitter. So the inbox says uh, – the inbox is inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Um, Mark says, when you say you are still concerned about the interior of the D-line, is it something specifically? Size outside of Pickens concerns me. You can feel the effects of not having Jaquez Sorrells, Jakeem Green, and a focused Josh Belk on the interior. Yeah, I mean, those three guys, and it was it's weird because it's not, you know, Belk just quit and decided to be a truck driver. Jakeem Green and Jaquez Sorrells were kind of weird academic situations, which, you know, my feeling will always be at South Carolina – um, and and and, and it, it was SEC rules that got those two guys, um, and the SEC has to change those. I mean, and I think that part of the strange SEC academic standards had to do with the the Big Ten shaming them uh, 
with that over signing crap into acting like, oh, well, we've got we've got standards here. <laughs> and they do have standards. I mean, a lot of a lot of really good schools in the SEC, Carolina included. Um, but Sorrells and Green got kind of caught up. Green was a JUCO guy, and, and I don't know how, you know, he can get into a Big Ten school at Nebraska, but can't get into Carolina for whatever reason. And then Sorrells was out of high school and kind of had to delay and then just ended up having to go to TCU. Uh, TCU is a private school, so they could admit him. Uh, yeah, those three were the guys, and and that stuff happens. Um, it's rare, and, and this is another – well, another another thing you can add to the list of things that you know just don't bounce Will Muschamp's way. It is rare where it's three guys like that, three similar types of defensive linemen, interior guys that are big that have the girth, and three guys that have that type of ceiling and talent. Um, th- those guys, you know, say what you want about Josh Bell, he wasn't lacking for talent. Same with green, same with sorrels. So, yeah, that's tough. Um, goes on, Mark goes on to say, I wonder how they would hold up South Carolina's D line against a big O line like Georgia or even Kentucky's to an extent. Uh, I think, I think with that, and look, it is a concern, um, more so after last week because of what Muschamp said, they did play high and soft. Um, it is a concern, but. I will say so far, so good. You know, Tennessee had one drive where they got behind their big O line uh, and kind of ran it down Carolina's throats. And then other than that, Carolina was fine. I mean, they they stopped them. Um, Florida only had 80 rushing yards, and I don't think the D-line was the problem in that game. Um, You know, Vanderbilt did not, you know, had some rushes pop out here and there. But I don't think that it was – you know, anything you can't live with. So I think they're doing fine. And I agree, size is a concern because you got pickings. And I think that's why, you know, Rick Sandage getting that sack late is big for him because maybe he goes back to practice and plays a little more consistently good. And and if they have him in there, I think that's that's a bigger guy. Not that Jabari Ellis and Kier Thomas have been playing bad. They didn't have Kier last week. But Ellis has been playing uh, pretty good football. So – uh, it is still a concern, but I, you know, is it, is it, I'm actually been surprised a little bit that it's not been more of a concern. Um, and if you're kind of looking and seeing how they'll line, you know, how will they hold up against a, an offensive line that's really good, you know, look at Tennessee, Tennessee. And I know Tennessee had negative one rushing yards against Georgia, but that's a big talented O line. Um, Auburn has had issues on the O-line. So this is a chance for the D-line to really play well. Uh, Otherwise, Mark says, I feel the defenses look good. Certainly some things need to be cleaned up at safety and linebacker outside of Ernest Jones, but overall the defense is performing. I agree. You know, the numbers look good on defense. The big play uh, at bad – big first two games, big plays at bad times. I guess that's the way to put it, bad times. You know, your offense goes down the field. You have momentum. And this started to shift a little bit against Florida, you know, because they did get the stop to start the second half, and then that was when Fenwick's fumble happened. Um, And then they did, after they cut it to 38-24, get another stop. So they started playing a little better. You mentioned safety. Jalen Dickerson had a death in the family last week. That's why he wasn't there. He'll be back. I think he's an important part, you know. I I think – 
Maybe they still start R.J. Roderick, but I think Jalen Dickerson, especially against an offense like Auburn, he's got really good natural instincts. Um, now, look, he goes out there and misses a tackle, and Auburn has an 88-yard run for a touchdown. Don't tell me I'm wrong. That's one play. Again, people, and I'm not talking to you, Mark. I'm talking to the general audience. Because, you know, <laughs> those things happen in football. You can't just take one bad play and say, ah, they suck, and this is why. You can't take one good play and say, ah, they're great either. So just wanted to point that out. Mark, thank you so much uh, for your email. Appreciate it. Mark is a frequent inbox contributor here on the Inside the Gamecast podcast. So uh, Cartwright says, JC, could not be more thankful for your daily podcast. I'm not sure I know any other fan that scrambles to learn anything they can about Gamecock football news as much as I do. Well, you're what keeps you're what keeps the lights on, Cartwright. We appreciate that. We cater to the diehards, except maybe for those who get paid for it, which must be the best job in the world. Are you hiring? <laughs> not currently. Um, I'm not complaining about my job, though. I, I think it's good, and I think I think sometimes this job gets very stressful. Uh, I'm not like a customer service rep or a salesperson because I'm I'm a little averse to dealing with people, you know. Um, like I couldn't go sell cars. I always admire the guys that could do that, but, um, you know, I, I couldn't go sell cars. Uh, but so sometimes dealing with the people aspect of it, even though it's kind of anonymous and stuff that's, that sometimes stresses me out, but, uh, yeah, it is a great job. I can't, I can't complain. I, I grew up wanting to do something where I was around football uh, and specifically Gamecock football. And so I'm still around it, still, you know, hanging in there. I will say wins are relief and losses are devastating when they happen these days, just because the stakes are high. Thanks for not being like that other podcast guy who stole my favorite slogan. Can't stand that joker. Ah, we're, we're trying to kind of uh, collectively not be as mean to him anymore, but I'm with you. I mean, he's, he's done some things, but I think we're trying to maybe kind of have a reset there. You're not optimistic all the time, but you're rational and have sound knowledge and great takes on the program. Thanks, Cartwright. My question is this. On the roster, we have Jalen Dickerson backing up J.B. Robinson, and we have Shiloh and McQuamu backing up R.J. Roderick. I'm not sure I understand why R.J. is in the starting lineup at safety. Why don't we have Jamie and Jalen back there starting with Mook and Shiloh backing them up? It became very clear in the Florida game. They were going to throw to wherever RJ was. I don't question his effort. I enjoy watching him hit people, but his coverage ability is less than acceptable. Thanks for all you do. Go Cox. Yeah. And I'll say this. It's uh, RJ, the Dan Mullen, you could almost see it happen. He, he saw it and they picked on him a little bit. Uh, I think, you know, there's people that, that think RJ Roderick and Jamar Brown, when he gets back, would be perfect at the dime position. And RJ's played there a little bit. Um, I would start – I would have Jalen Dickerson and Jamie Robinson as my two starting safeties, without question. Uh, no question. And I hate that Dickerson had the death in the family and had to miss the Vandy game. So that shows you what kind of coach Will Muschamp is. You know, he's like, okay, go ahead, take care of your stuff. These are kids. But, you know, I guarantee you that, that Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris are looking at number 10 going, hey, let's, let's try to match him up on some guys. 
Um, and until he starts stopping them, that's going to, that's going to be the case. Um, so I would start Jalen. I, 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 uh, I don't know necessarily that when you look at the depth chart, that those are the exact backups. I think if something happened to RJ, they would, they would put Dickerson out there. They just couldn't the other day because, um, of, uh, Dickerson not being there. He didn't travel to Nashville. Thank you, Cartwright. I uh, appreciate it. And please don't be a stranger uh, in, in emailing the, the podcast here. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, by the way. Spencer, who has been emailing me since my days on the Columbia Radio Airwaves with the box with Corey Miller and Mike Morgan. Spencer says, hi, JC. Good day, sir. Loving the content and also the show with my boy, Mike Morgan. He and I go way back as well. Absolutely, Spence, you do. Anyway, what do you think is going through the mind of Ryan Holinsky right now? Do you think there's a risk of a transfer? I know much of this will depend on what happens this year, like an injury to Hill, or perhaps Hill has a great year in bolts for the NFL. Um, I'll answer this first. I, you know, I, 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 I tend to think that Ryan is kind of hanging in there and that he sort of, you know, understands that he got thrown to the wolves last season and wasn't ready. Obviously he wasn't ready. That's why he was inconsistent. Uh, didn't really have much help in terms of an offense. Um, he's got to learn this system. If he wants to play NFL football, this is a better system for him to know. Um, is there a risk of a transfer? There always is with quarterbacks. And a lot of times that decision, that, that situation happens like this. The coaches sit him down and say, look, we have these guys and we're going to go, we think them, and we think it'll be better for you if you go elsewhere. Georgia actually did that with Stetson Bennett. <laughs> you know, because they were sitting there with J.B. Newman and J.T. Daniels and they thought Dwan Mathis was going to be good and they have a freshman Harrison Beck that they think is going to be good. They're like, look, man, there's no place for you. And now he's led them to a 3-0 and start. And they're all happy. <laughs> so sometimes that backfires. But I think I think if the coaches felt that way and Helens, they'd sit him down and do that. I mean, he's he's still young. And look, uh, he's a sophomore. So everybody gets a red shirt this year. So he'll be a red shirt sophomore next year, regardless of how much he plays. So he's still got three more years after this. Uh, as far as Hill going to the NFL, I don't know that Hill even has to have a great year. I think – He's got to make it through the year. Um, and then – and, look, there is some chatter behind the scenes. He may come back, but we're only in game three. But, you know, he's a guy the NFL likes. You know, they liked him at Colorado State. They like him now. They like these six, five guys that can throw and run an offense more specifically. Um, and people don't want to hear that because he's not, you know, Tua Tagovailoa, and and you know, I'm, I'm not our, our Trevor Lawrence, and I'm not saying that he's going to be a top five pick, or I mean, probably five, six, seventh round, or, or undrafted free agent. But um, he's a guy that you know, because of his ACL injury history, if he makes it through the entire year, which I hope and pray to God he does, I don't wish injury on anybody. Um, I think he's going to go take a shot. I mean, I, I really do. I, and, and I think that would be the best move for him, you know, because I don't, even if, you know, let's say 
you know, he goes and is an undrafted free agent and gets on a practice squad somewhere, or, you know, sixth or seventh rounder, and he's the, you know, emergency quarterback for somebody. Um, you know, you do that and you got it and you're, and you're in the league. You know, you, you've taken your shot at your dream. You come back and try to improve your stock and you get injured again, it's probably over. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that, 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 that Hill comes back. You know, that's just my opinion and based on what I heard earlier, but there is some talk that maybe he will. I, I don't know. I think all that's premature. Um, is there a risk of a transfer? Absolutely. There always is with quarterbacks. And usually that means you're doing something right with regards to recruiting at that position. Um, and so we'll just have to see. Spence goes on to say, am I crazy to feel confident in this offense? I mean, this is the best I've ever felt about a must-champ team on that side of the ball. Yeah, and it's amazing because this is probably, talent-wise, the least talented offense at the skill spots that must-champs had. <laughs> you know, Rico Dowdle's in the NFL, folks. Tavian Feaster, I think, signed with the practice squad. Tyson Williams is on a practice squad somewhere, you know. Mon Denson and A.J. Turner were surprisingly solid. Debo Samuel, Brian Edwards, Shai Smith still on there. Uh, Kyle Markway. Now, I think the offensive line's better than it was last year. I look at the one key indicator, and that's the ability to create points on drives. That points to – on early drives. That points to preparation and good game plan. Yeah, the Gamecocks have scored uh, – Done pretty well on their first drive and second half adjustments. Points to adjusting on the fly, flexibility and thinking. Roper, Brent Peace, McClendon, Weiss never showed any of this like Bobo. Yeah, and Charlie Weiss's problem was not – Charlie Weiss is capable of doing this, but his problem was his offense was too complicated for that bunch at Florida and it didn't fit the personnel. Weiss never showed any of this like Bobo. I'm beginning to warm to having Bobo reassume the head coaching role and the SC role here after Will gets axed in 2021. Um, you know, I think Mike Bobo will be a head coach again and probably will have more success than he had at Colorado State. Uh, there would have to be a specific scenario for the scenario you described to happen. Probably something happened in mid-year. Uh, I, I think Bobo – is an example too of a guy and, and there, there's other guys like this out there. Dan Werner, even though Dan Werner didn't call plays at Carolina was like this. Noel Mazone was like this. Some of your, you know, Steve Ensminger to a certain extent at LSU is like this. Some of your grizzled veterans in the SEC that were play callers, you know, that go way back. They've, they've all kind of evolved and gotten better and better and better at it. Uh, and it, it's interesting when you look at these guys' careers because they they really can do anything you want. You know, you want to get in the eye, run power. Yeah, you can do that. You want to get in the gun. You want to run the option. I mean, South Carolina is very versatile. And and it's one thing to be versatile because BMAC had a lot of things in his offense too. You know, there were a lot of different concepts and things like that. But the difference is – Mike Bobo knows what to call and when to call, and it's a chess match. And he's he's running plays to set you up for later and that type of thing. And that, that's what great play callers do. And I think Mike Bobo, his last few years at Georgia, all the way through Colorado State, and then now has evolved into one of the best in college football. Um, nobody talked about that at Georgia because they weren't really winning and their defense was bad. 
but you go look at a Georgia game on a Saturday, like they, they play Tennessee, I think, uh, in 2012, that 2012 team, the Gamecocks held the seven points. Uh, they played Tennessee, and Tennessee had a pretty good offense that year. Jim Chaney was was dialing them up for them. 51-44, because Georgia's defense just didn't have it that day. And that team ended up winning the East and being a play away from playing for the national title. So Bobo, I don't think he got enough credit at Georgia toward the end because, you know, their defense was just kind of not not nothing like it is nothing like it is now. Um and then all the way through Colorado State and then now, you know, he's really fine-tuned his craft. Um is doing a good job. Now now watch the Gamecocks go out and get shut out this weekend. How about that? <laughs> you give sometimes you know when you when you cover South Carolina, you give them too much love and then you're like the next week you're like, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. Noah says, JC, I listened to JC and Morgan for the first time this week. Thank you. Tom Luganbill on this week, JC and Mont Morgan College Football Podcast. That's we talk Gamecocks some, but we talk all SEC, ACC, uh high, you know. Uh, you know, other conferences, uh, topics around college football, et cetera, et cetera. Noah says, hypothetically, if South Carolina played an ACC schedule this season, what record could you think they could post with this team? I, you know, it depends on which ACC teams you've got because I'll admit there's been some surprises. You know, I blast Dave Dorn constantly, you know. And it's kind of funny because Dave Dorn and Felipe Franks are probably the two guys that I'm like, eh, you know, as far as player and coach. And both those guys are having great years. So it shows what I know. Um, I think NC State's surprising. I think, you know, Florida State obviously is a dumpster fire. You know, Miami, despite what happened against Clemson, surprising. So I don't know, you know, Carolina – Depending on who they got, I, I would I would expect six, seven wins, you know, depending on who they had to play. I, I'll tell you a team in the ACC that's ranked really high that I just – there's just something about them that I, I'm not I'm not sold on is Notre Dame. Um, you know, I, and I think they're awfully talented and good, but they're kind of like, you know, not as impressive as you would think or hope. So – but yeah, it would it would just depend on what the draw was. Like NC State, for example, has a really good draw this year. They still, you know, I don't know how they beat Virginia, and I don't know how they beat uh, Pitt, but they, you know, they have a pretty good draw, um, and they're scoring some points all of a sudden with the the former uh, OC from out at uh, out of Texas. They had to fire, so who knows? But yeah, the, now in other years. If Carolina were in the ACC, especially if they were in the Coastal, I think everybody would be talking about how, you know, Clemson had beaten Carolina what? It'd probably, they'd probably be like 10, 10 in a row right now because they'd have probably played twice in a number of years. <laughs> and, hey, who knows? If you play a team twice, you may have, may have lucked up and beat them one time. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think South Carolina would, you know, the last – five, 10 years in the ACC Coastal would have been just fine. And I know before the haters come out, I know Carolina's lost. They're currently on a two-game losing streak against the ACC Coastal. <laughs> but, uh, you know, go, going back before that, I think I think Carolina would been in pretty good shape, uh, especially if they're in that division. David emails in, last email of the day, JC, love the show. I work on the road. I listen every day. Hands down, best podcast breaking down the Gamecocks. Thank you. 
I appreciate the plug for JB and Goldwater. Those guys are awesome. Yeah, man, I had a good hour and 10 minutes on that show yesterday. Love those guys. And, and, and I think, you know, with what they're doing with the streaming and, and you know, the podcasting, everything, you know, that, that could be the next big statewide show uh, in South Carolina. I really do. I think good things are ahead for them. J.J. Pegues, the 300-pound tight end for Auburn's out there running the Wildcat and hurdling dudes. Kind of reminds you of Melvin Ingram, doesn't it? I believe the Tigers will lean heavily on him and Bigsby. How do the Gamecocks slow down the Auburn running green? And is Sherrod Green going to be available? I don't. I think Sherrod's out for the year with that hip injury. Um, according to Muschamp, uh, it's the same injury Bo Jackson had in terms of the hip fractures, just not as you know severe. So take that for what it's worth. Um, this is, but but I, I think Green's out. I don't, I don't think he's going to be back. Now, Jamar Brown, they could use. Uh, you know, how do they slow the run game? Well, you know, Georgia slowed him down pretty good. Kentucky did as well. You know, so I, I think you just got to take it. You got to have your – keep your eye discipline, your run fits. You know, Carolina has better personnel on defense than Arkansas does. Um, you know, and, and that's the only team Auburn's really going up and down the field on. And Bo Nix has been inaccurate at times. So, I, I think stopping the run, whether that's Nix running, whether that's Pegues and the Wildcat or whatever, or Bigsby, that's that's job number one. Because then I think you get in third and more than seven situations, you can go after Nix. And as long as he doesn't slip by you and you, you lose contain, you know, you can pressure him into some errant throws. Um so we'll see what happens. But I, David, I agree with you completely. Stopping, slowing the Auburn run games, you know, job number one for the game guys. Because if Auburn comes in and is able to run the ball with success, you know, then all of a sudden it's a pick your poison thing. And you got Williams and Schwartz catching these little hitches and running by you. I mean, they Carolina has to tackle really well, you know, which, you know, with the exception of a couple of plays, they have. Some people are like, they can't tackle. You only watched one play. <laughs> and I realized that was a frustrating as hell play. But really, you know, the tackling's been pretty good for the most part, especially compared to some other teams. All right. That's all the time we have today on the Inside the Game Cast podcast. Appreciate you listening. Keep those five-star reviews and ratings coming on Apple. We want to get to 1,000 by the end of the year, our, our football season. Also, I want to tell you that, uh, you know, I'll be a guest on a podcast called Tito's and Chicken, which is a uh, – uh, some younger guys, younger Gamecock fans do that. Uh, it's Tito's and Chicken. It's on iTunes. I'll be a guest on their weekly episode this week, Breaking Down the Gamecocks. Also, we have a JC and Morgan with Tom Luganville out. Go check that out. As always, join thebigspur.com. You can join for a dollar – interact with me and all the other experts and insiders that we have on our site. That's Tony Morrell, John Whittle, John Del Bianco, uh, Carrie Rich, uh, and a host of hilarious posters that sometimes will get on your nerves, but sometimes are just hilarious to laugh at. I'm JC Sherbert. We will have the final word on the Auburn game tomorrow on Friday here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Until then, adios, and we'll talk to you soon.